The Languedoc region is actually one of the oldest wine regions in Europe. Is that right? Apparently the Greeks used to grow wine there or something back in the day? Yes, it all started. uh, The Greeks and Phoenicians brought the vines over in the 6th century BCE. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Pryor. Enchanté. Fabulously Delicious is the podcast that brings you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week we dive into a specific topic, a French dish, an ingredient or French cuisine cooking technique and we learn about it from a special guest who's an expert on that topic. My guests are all about French food. Either they cook it, they produce it, talk, write or photograph it, but above all, they love it. The wines from the Languedoc region of France are our topic today. Did you know that this is the largest wine producing region in France and one of the top in the world? Yep, that's right. The Languedoc area produces more wine than the whole of the US, apparently. So we're going to chat with somebody today who's an expert of wines from the Languedoc. Carrie Dykes is fun, fabulous and very much a lover of all things French food and wine. So let's not waste any time. Pour ourselves a nice glass of wine and listen to another fab episode of Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast with Wines of the Long Dock with Carrie Dykes. Carrie Dykes, thanks for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Thank you for having me. Carrie, I want our listeners to get to know you a bit better. Your mum is actually Irish American and your dad's German American. So, what food did you grow up eating then? Well, um, on Sundays, we would go to this little place called the Swiss Pork Store, and they had all kinds of European, you know, goods, and we would get Weisswurst and Sauerbraten and a lot of typical German foods. Um, but, I mean, for the most part, we ate, you know, American <laughs> cuisine. <laughs> okay, right. Mum didn't, like, try to add those German sausages to an Italian ragu or anything like that. <laughs> Not that I recall. <laughs> Was your mum the cook at home? Yes, for the most part. Who influenced your mum's cooking? Do you know? Um, probably my grandma, her mom. Um, she was a great cook. She would always host Thanksgiving and, you know, she was in charge of the turkey. And even though my mom had a very large family, a lot of siblings and everyone would bring something to the table my grandma always had her hands and everything and <laughs> you know it, it she was in control you know growing up was all the food cooked at home or did you go out to restaurants as a family when you were growing up uh we definitely went out to restaurants the the region of new jersey uh, i lived in is right outside of new york city and there was a lot of influence from um immigrants and um so fairlawn the one town i was in uh when i was very young has a lot of like Eastern European Jewish culture. And then uh, Glenrock, the town I moved to after that is kind of like your regular suburbia. But it is so close to New York City that there were um, a lot of good, you know, kind of upscale restaurants or like, you know, wanted to give you the feel of New York City in the suburbs type of thing. <laughs> You're in the wine industry now and the journalism industry as well. But what did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, when I was very young, I wanted to be a vet because um, I, I just love animals. And But then I realized that I don't have like the strength to deal with 
you know, the sadness and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, then probably around fourth, fifth grade, I got really into writing. So I did want to be a writer, but more of a creative writer. Um, I, and what I was doing, um, before I got into wine, I was really into like short stories, like Alice Monroe type, um, short stories, uh, and just kind of that, I don't know, the story you've probably heard a million times about people getting into food and wine. As I was in school, I was working at this restaurant and, you know, and that's exactly what happened. I was uh, working at this restaurant called The Station in Lambertville, and uh, they had a pretty deep wine list. And um, they had people come in and kind of train us on the wine list and about wines in general. And I found that not only was I really interested in it, but I was pretty good at pinpointing certain things about wine. And um, if someone wanted something, I could, you know, offer them. If we didn't have what they were looking for, I could offer them something similar. And uh, I just kind of fell into the rabbit hole from there. <laughs> and so, did your like? Did you have any of this in your family? Were your parents like big wine connoisseurs? Did you? Were you like the French? Did you get your first glass of wine when you were like three years old by age? <laughs> no, no, my parents barely even drank wine. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what it was about it. I think it was just. You know, I, I didn't realize there was so much that went into it, like the history and the science and, you know, uh, just geography and so many things were so interesting. And I think the first thing that got me was the relationship to cuisine and just how fun that could be. So I I really didn't know much about wine until my 20s. Are your family now like big wine connoisseurs that now that you're in the industry? Like, do they get all these freebies and things oh, like this? Yeah. Or do they expect you to bring them back a bottle or two? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> for a little while, uh, my parents would watch my son for me if my husband and, and I were both traveling or busy, and I would pay them in wine. And <laughs> my dad has gotten really into wine. He read Cork Dork, and now he has decided he's the foremost authority on wine. And <laughs> he is pretty good, though. He is pretty good. Coming to France soon for a holiday or a weekend away? Do you have plans or dreaming of it? But you don't know what to do. You're overwhelmed with all the options. Or have you been so many times before that you want a new take on France and places to go, people to see? Well, I can help you with that. Jump on my website, andrewpryorfabulously.com and check out my itinerary service. You can book in a 45-minute Zoom call directly with me. Then once we've discussed what you want to do, how long you're coming for and where you really, really, really want to go, well then I can help you create a fabulous itinerary, personalised just for you. I'll help with places to go, things to do, hidden secrets, tips that only a local would know, restaurants, food recommendations as well, and help with any bookings that you might need during the stay. So, what are you waiting for? Go to andrewpryorfabulously.com itinerary services and book a call in with me now. You studied wine at the, let me get this correct, I think it's the International Wine Centre, is that right, in New York? What is the International Wine Centre? The International Wine Centre in New York City, I believe, was the first uh, WSET class in New York City, but I could be wrong. Um, 
So I had started taking classes there and I moved up the ranks. I got my um, advanced degree and I'm nearly done with my diploma, which is kind of like the last, last thing. <laughs> and does that make you a sommelier? How do you get to be a sommelier? So it's actually different. It's similar, but different. They're like two separate tracks, um, but they move very similarly. So um, you can go all the way up to be a master psalm, or you could go all the way up to become a master of wine. And um, the same thing, the only thing that's different in the way WCT is more geared towards people who want to review wine or become wine writers or educators. And um, so there's very little service and obviously to become a sommelier service is a big portion of it. Um, yeah, so it's, it's similar in that way. When you're studying then as an experience, what is that like? Like, I, you know, like, is there people there that just go to get drunk? <laughs> you know, like to drink, are you just drinking wine all the time? How do you, what, how do you study wine? So the first level is like, you know, there are cons like consumers who are just interested in wine that would like to just kind of know more um, and like have a better understanding of what they're looking at at a, in a wine menu or just for fun. People will take those courses just for fun. Um, and then once you kind of move up through the different levels, um, it becomes very like professional, like the advanced degree. Um, those are all wine professionals. Uh, and I mean, you spit when you taste, obviously, but, um, you know, sometimes something tastes good and you don't spit it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question, actually, because I know some <laughs> listeners will want to know this. So, so when I'm tasting wine, should I be drinking it or should I be spitting it out? Well, it depends. If you have a number of wines that you're kind of tasting in a lineup um, to taste against one another, um, you know, you probably want to spit so you don't pass out at some point but <laughs> um if you're just enjoying a wine just enjoy it and drink it in relation to actual wine is it possible to have a favorite wine when you like work in the industry like you do i think in the same way with like movies or songs or musical artists like it's really tough to have one that's you know the ultimate best but um you know they, I guess I could say I have favorites in different categories. Um, yeah. What then led you into this sort of uh, world of writing about wine? So let's see. Okay. <laughs> so when I got into wine and I knew I wanted to learn more, I uh, <laughs> really jumped the gun and I immediately signed up for um, sommelier courses at the Sommelier Society of America. And my first day, uh, I it, I was in so over my head. I remember writing down phonet phonetically Chateauneuf de Pop to look up later because I had never heard of it and like, I had no idea what it was. And <laughs> so I'm like, all right, maybe I'm not ready for this. And um, someone told me the best way to learn more is to work at a wine shop. So at this point, I'd moved to New York City and um, I started working at a wine shop on the Upper West Side called Bacchus. And it's very true. In addition to just learning about the wines we had there to help customers, I was learning about wine because um, they taught classes as well that I was able to sit in on. So that was really helpful. And during that time, I met a woman who had started a blog uh, called Wines in the City. So I was writing for her. 
And so that kind of, I was like, oh, wait, I can do both. (laughs) Um, And from there, I moved to the Hudson Valley and I saw that Wine Enthusiast Magazine was looking for a tasting coordinator. And I didn't realize that they were based in the Hudson Valley. I thought that they were based in New York City. So I applied, I got the job, and um, I started taking the WSET classes while I was there. And I became not only the uh, tasting coordinator, so I would set up um, the reviewers' flights and, um, you know, kind of help with their reviews. And then I became a reviewer myself and a contributing writer for them. Um, And then I went freelance uh, probably three or four years ago, probably three and a half years ago, so I can expand more of the the wine world that I write about. Have you ever actually worked in a vineyard or a winery before? So I worked in a vineyard one day of my life in the Mosul. Um, I was on a press trip in the Mosul region of Germany and, um, we got split up so that, um, two people went to two, you know, sets of people went to different wineries to work for the day to work harvest. And, um, the Mosul is known for their extremely steep cliffs, like almost vertical. (laughs) Um, like we were holding onto a wire to keep ourselves upright with these baskets to, you know, pick the grapes and throw into the baskets. So you wouldn't tumble down into the Mosul. (laughs) Um, So it was kind of funny because the girl that I was with, we worked at this one winery, which honestly, I can't remember the name and I'll get back to you if I can recall. Um, And this guy had us working all day. It was raining. We were working. <laughs> uh, we had like a short break where we had some snacks, some tartine, and you know, uh, but you know, then right back to work. And then we met up with the rest of our group for dinner. And you know, most people, it's like, yeah, we cut a couple grapes and then uh, we just tasted some wine. Or, <laughs> but no, this, you know, this girl and I, we worked all day. And I, I don't know how people do it every day because it's it's tough work. Whereabouts in Germany is Mosul? Mosul, uh, hmm, it's, I would say it's in the Frankfurt region. Um, yeah, you would fly into Frankfurt and then it's just a quick trip from there. And what are the wines like from that region? Oh, just like gorgeously steely um, Rieslings with like super high acidity because of the, you know, the altitude and the cool climate, um, just gorgeous stuff. Some really good spot bugunders, which is Pinot Noir. Um, just, I mean, some of the most amusing wines. Right. Ah, interesting. German wines, some of the most amazing wines. So how do they compare then to the French? Um, they're just, I mean, they're both excellent, but in their own ways. Um, I, Of course, it depends on the appellations and the regions, but for the most part as a whole, Germany is known for their, like, I don't want to say austere, but they're like, uh, I don't know, just like spine tingling, you know, uh, prickly wines. Uh, like you take a sip and you're like, ooh. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, France, the, there are so many different microclimates. And uh, so it could really run the gamut of styles. Uh, yeah, it's. I would say, yeah, Germany is known for their high acidity and France is known for a number of things, really. Um, 
depending on the region. Is there a lot of wines coming from Germany? Definitely not as much as other larger regions like France or Australia even. Um, But yeah, a good amount. I wonder if at the French supermarket you can even get a German wine. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. You reckon? All right, I'm going to test that theory out. Um, Yeah, test it out. (laughs) (laughs) So part of your job, do you travel a lot then to, to go to different places for wine? I do. Um, obviously, over the past two years, I uh, didn't go anywhere. Um, <laughs> I was in the Loire Valley. I got home two days before everything shut down. And um, then my, and then actually, I was going to say my first international trip back was the Languedoc, but that's not true. Actually, my first international trip back was uh, to uh, British Columbia in Canada. And, um, yeah, and then I went to the Languedoc. Lovers of French food, wait no more, because I've got the French food cooking experience just for you. Come join me in Montmorillon for one- and three-day cooking experiences that take in French markets, as well as visits to local producers, lots of cooking and eating, of course, and, well, maybe the occasional glass of wine. But above all, good company, lots of fun. So, book your class with me via andrewpriorfabulously.com, but hurry, places are filling fast. On to today's subject, uh, wines from the Languedoc region. Uh, first up, whereabouts in France is the Languedoc region? The Languedoc is a coastal region in um, southern France. Uh, it kind of extends from Provence to the Pyrenees, and um, at the Pyrenees, that's where it connects with uh, Spain which it was actually once a part of. So what towns, cities are there in that region that we might all know of? Um, so there's Limoux, which um, is kind of higher up in the Pyrenees, so it has a bit of a cooler climate, and that's where you'll get your sparkling wine. Um, that's actually where sparkling wine came from. Um, the first sparkling wine was made at um, the Abbe Saint-Hilaire, and uh, the monks uh, in Champagne kind of learned from them. And let's see. There's... Oh, sorry, my um, Siri is trying to talk to me. I don't like it when Siri tries to interrupt the post, the podcast. <laughs> um, so is that Cremont then? Is that the the sparkling wine that's produced in the area? Yep. There's Blanquette, there's Cremont. And... Ah, so there's different mm-hmm. ones. And Method Ancestral. And how do they compare to, say, Ch- Champagne? So uh, in some ways they're similar and in other ways they're a little different. So um, with the Method Ancestral, they're kind of made in this more rustic way, uh, almost like a Franticorta in Italy. Um, So they're a bit more like wild tasting. Um, And then there's Blanquette, which is made with 90% Mozac, which is a native grape to um, the Languedoc, Limu in particular. And Cremant is made, they can be made with a number of grapes uh, and typically made with champagne grapes. So that would be the most typical to champagne. So they'd be made with Chardonnay, um, some Pinot Noir, but they can also include Chenin Blanc and Mozac as well. So The Languedoc region is actually one of the oldest wine regions in Europe. Is that yep. right? Apparently the Greeks used to grow wine there or something back in the day. Yes, it all started. Uh, the Greeks and Phoenicians brought the vines over. Um, in the 6th century BCE. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 
Don't tell me some of those vines are still there. Well, not really because of phylloxera, <laughs> sadly. Um, <laughs> phylloxera kind of wiped everything out um, at some point in the 1800s, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, uh, Romans kind of grew the industry after that. Um, after the Canal du Midi was um, put into place, that kind of helped everything evolve even more. And then when the train was built, the French railway, uh, that kind of brought everything to new heights. And at that point, they were making excellent wines. Um, in fact, I I just learned this. In Paris in the 14th century, uh, wines from St. Chinian area were prescribed in hospitals for their healing powers. Of course <laughs> they were. Of course. Of course I mean, were. that's why I drink it. <laughs> um, what else apart from wines is that region known for? So. Uh, because of the proximity to Spain, they have a lot of tapas-like dishes. Um, they have a, a, I mean, there they're called apero. Um, but a lot of the apero are very inspired by Catalonia. So, so what dishes are there from that region then that we might all know? Um, yeah, so there's uh, Les Petites Pâtés de Pezenas, which is like a baked pie filled with sweet and savory mutton. Um there are Catalan-inspired dishes like cargolade, which is grilled stuffed snails. They're stuffed with, like, sausage and lard and herbs and then grilled over a wood fire. Um, there's, You're making me hungry. I know. I'm hungry, too. <laughs> there's a tuna Catalan, which is, like, a simple, healthy dish, tuna, pasta, veggies. Um I mean, there are tons, but these are just some that I can think of right now. What's the geography? Like the, I'm going to use a big word here that I don't know what the word means. I just like <laughs> found it and it's going to make me sound really professional. The climatology of the Ooh. area, should I say, you know, is, or should I say actually, should I be talking about like, is terra the same thing or are they different things? In a way, absolutely. Terroir uh, means sense of place. So the climate, the geography, the topography, everything comes into play. Okay. So what's it like in that specific area that makes it different from the rest of France? So uh, it's Mediterranean, so it's a hot and dry climate. But once you get to the Pyrenees, you get a bit more coolness and altitude. Does it snow in the Pyrenees? It does, actually. Yeah. Um, so you have the sea, you have the mountains. And one thing that um, is kind of important to just the the terroir and like the taste of wines and the sense of it are is the garrigue, which is um, kind of like a scrub. I, I you probably have similar in Australia. Um, it's like um, scrub, aromatic bushes, uh, like lavender, rosemary, thyme. Um, so and then inland, there's vines, there's olive trees, there are cypress trees. Um, yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. What type of uh, wines are there from the Languedoc then? Is it all, like, is it all red? Is it all white? Is it a mixture? It really runs the gamut. Um, the white wines are kind of, like, cool and crisp. Um, they have very concentrated reds made from Mouvets and so Syrah, Grenache. Uh, they have a lot of fortified wines, a lot of them made from Grenache. Um, so there's uh, Frottignon made from Muscat, Reeve Salts made from Grenache, um, 
banyuls, also made from Grenache. Um, and those wines are called Vin du Naturel. Uh, we got the sparkling wines in Limu. Um, let's see. We well, we, ha- we have a lot of similar varieties to Spain too. Uh, in you know, Grenache in France is Garnacha in Spain. Carignan and Carignana. Mouvedre is the same as Monastrel. So that's kind of interesting too. You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, then please share it around with your friends, colleagues, and family. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Oh, and leave me a review, please. A five-star one would be fabulous, especially because those reviews help me get more fabulous guests for you to listen to and to learn from about more fabulous French food. So, Don't forget to share me around with your friends and family because I love to be shared around. Now let's get back to more Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Are there a lot of wineries there in the Languedoc? There are. um, Actually, they produce a large amount of uh, the entire uh, wine. Yeah, I read this. Apparently the wine production in the Languedoc is more than the whole of the U.S., does that sound right? <laughs> it probably is. Because, I mean, anywhere you look, it's a vine. <laughs> you you trip over something, it's probably a vine. Um, <laughs> 36% of all organic French wine comes from the Languedoc. Yeah. Um, but no, a large part, I think it's a third. I can't find my notes right now, but I think a third of the grapes made uh, into wine in France come from the Languedoc. Are a lot of these wines uh, exported and can you get them in the US? Yeah, a good number are. Um, I think they're definitely making a push for more of the smaller wineries to have a place, you know, at the the world's wide seat here. But uh, Gerard Bertrand is a good example of um, a brand that is really kind of, uh, you know, giving a name to the Languedoc because they make wines from a number of different Languedoc regions and they're widely exported in the United States. So it's a, and they're pretty popular. So it's a great um, chance for the American people to get to know the area and then they'll seek out more of the wines. What is the most known wine that we would know from the Languedoc? Probably Gerard Bertrand, um, Calmel and Joseph is pretty well known as well. Uh, Maris in Minervois uh, is pretty well known, um, but I would definitely sur- say Bertrand is uh, probably the easiest to find, most well known. What's meant by the term the European wine lake? What is this about? And the Languedoc had something to do with this, didn't it? Yes. So uh, after Phylloxera um, came and kind of ravaged a lot of the vines. What's Phylloxera? Phylloxera is a, a like a pest that um, unfortunately ruined uh, many wine regions um, for some time. So after that, in the 70s, there was a vine pulling scheme where, um, oh no, I'm sorry, before that, <laughs> after Phylloxera, they replanted, um, but they replanted so much and they were really focused on bulk and um, that became what's called the European wine lake. It was just kind of low quality, a lot, a lot of wine, <laughs> uh, quantity, a lake of wine, you could say. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, but then after phylloxera, um, and when they started replanting in the seventies, they focused more on better site selection, better wines, um, smaller quantities and better quality. What should we eat with wines from this region? I mean, you talked about dishes, but if we were just eating at home, if we're in the States or we're in Australia or the UK, uh, what should we be eating uh, to pair Languedoc wines with? Yeah, um, well, I mean, it depends. I would say for the the reds are kind of, uh, they have a bit, some can have a bit of uh, carbonic maceration, which will make them like really bright and fruity. You'll have like a lot of that lavender um, that could go really well with, uh, but they're they're concentrated, so that could go really well with like lamb, red meat, something a bit heavier. Um, the whites and the sparkling, I mean, those go beautifully with um, lighter dishes, um, some local cheeses, salads, um, maybe some grilled fish. Um, and I mean, rosé is typically like a great salad, fresh fruit, something like that. Is this usual for like you've you've said like it's got red wine, white wine, uh, rosé, sparkling wine, fortified wine? Is it usual for all of the regions in France to have all five of those or, or, or lots of different varieties of uh, wine, or is this specific to that Languedoc region or just some regions of France? Yeah, not really. Um, France is kind of known for their kind of restrictions and rules in each area. Um, so, you know, in Champagne, you're going to have Champagne. Um, in Burgundy, you're going to have um, Chardonnay or Pinot Noir. And um, the Languedoc is a lot less restrictive, which is wonderful because there's a lot more creativity, flexibility. And so there are a lot of exciting things um, that wine producers are doing that they can't do in other regions. And does this come from the fact that it's so old, the region, for producing wine? Why is it that they can produce so many different types of wine there? I'm not exactly sure, um, but I think it maybe has to do with um, until, you know, more recently, the cost of land and to grow there was so much less than other regions. So the same way that, um, you know, city areas might, you know, bring more artistic types I, I mean, I'm just kind of brainstorming here, but it, I would assume that more creative and you know innovative winemakers would want to go to a place where they could experiment more. So you mentioned before the restrictions. So you've got like champagne. It's so it's AOP. Is that right? That's that's the the restriction there. That sort of you, it's got to be made in champagne from the champagne. You know, those grapes. So is there any restrictions like that on any of the wines in, in the Languedoc? Yes, yes. So Limu was the first AOC or AOP, and that was in 1929. And their restrictions are between the type of grapes you can use and the different types of sparkling wine. Um, and there are there are certain restrictions, um, you know, in different areas, but they're a lot less... Uh, Restrictive. <laughs> okay, yes. If we were going to visit the Languedoc region, where would you suggest that we went and which winery should we go and check out? Ooh. Um, well, I loved going to the beach at Lucat. Um, that was wonderful. Uh, 
some really great apero at the beach. Um, for wineries to visit, let's see. Um, Maison Delafont is wonderful. They specialize in wines made with permaculture, like a real kind of like listening to the land. Um, let's see. Gerard Bertrand, if you can. Um, maybe uh, Antec in Limu. Yeah, there. I mean, it. They're all wonderful, kind of beautiful areas. So if you want to check out some nice hills and cliffs, go to Limu. If you want to go, you know, sit by the beach, go to more of the coastal regions. So you have a lot of choices. Now, Carrie, I usually at the end of every podcast ask one fabulous question. But for you, you're special. I'm asking you three. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The first one is, what to you is the most fabulous wine that comes from the Longadon region? Ooh, that is a good question. And hard to answer. Uh, And why, of course. I, you know, I'm just going to say a blanket... Uh, or a blanket, pun intended statement. <laughs> um, just wines from Limu in general because they're so special. They introduced an entire style of wine, and um, you know, nowhere else in the world are they using Mozac, or very rarely, which is only used there. And it's just a truly incredible spot for wine. So I'm gonna go with Limu. Secondly, what to you is the most fabulous wine in France? Ooh. Oh, man. This is tough. (laughs) Why are you doing this to me? (laughs) Uh, I love Burgundy wines. There are so many that I like. I don't know. Uh, Maybe Demain Cyrene. Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on how much you want to shell out, but (laughs) (laughs) it can be pretty expensive. (laughs) What is it about burgundy wines you said that you love? Oh, I just like, uh, kind of the limestone influence and has this great texture across the board in the Chardonnays and the Pinot Noirs. Just, I love textural wines. So explain that to us, because like, so when you say the limestone influence for us that are just foodies or people that haven't been to school, um, what, what, what does limestone, how does it influence a wine? So it's grown on limestone soils and it kind of imparts this, uh, this is a debatable term in, in wine, but a minerality, um, and it just gives kind of this rich texture. Uh, and it just sits really nicely with the high acidity of the wines and these kind of like demure, but really lovely fruit notes. It's just, they're, they're, it's a very balanced, you know, region for the most part. Where can people find you? On the, are you on the interweb? I am on the interwebs here and there. Um, <laughs> my, if you want to find me on Instagram, my handle is little marzipan, L I L M A R Z I P A N. What then is the most fabulous thing about France to you? Ooh, um, I just 
I love how effortlessly chic everything is. The food is fantastic. The wine is fantastic. The fashion. Um, I love French music. Uh, I mean, I think it's just kind of the chicness as a whole. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, they are very chic here in France, and so are you. I can see you, listeners. You can't see, but uh, I can see you, Carrie. You're very chic there in New Jersey. You're in New Jersey, right? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm in the Hudson Valley, New York. You're in the Hudson Valley. You're very chic there in the Hudson Valley. Oh, thank you. Gary Dykes, thank you for teaching us all about Languedoc wines. And uh, maybe in maybe in season three, we can chat to you more about wine in the future. That, that would be, be fantastic. Thank Wonderful. you so much. Thank you for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today, yes. Gary. Thanks for having me. Merci beaucoup. Merci. That's it for another fabulous episode this week of Fabulously Delicious. I hope you enjoyed it and have subscribed. And if you haven't already, don't forget to share it around. But see you next week because, most importantly, we'll have more Fabulously Delicious. Bon app, everyone. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading.